Hi, this is Scott Hartnell, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Happy Monday. Back in the studio, back at her. We got a great one for you today. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the goings-on around here. Have you seen the SMP billboard across from the UFA? Man, it looks good. I know I've been getting tons of uh, feedback on it. Uh, thanks to Deanna Wandler, Read and Write Advertising, they did an exceptional job. It just looks unbelievable. So if you haven't, stop by and taken a look. The Finally, the, the train um, track construction is done so you can get by and take a look at it it looks super sharp um how about lauren and the team at art and soul i just dropped off a couple jerseys i'm super excited you know i was sitting here looking over my uh, right shoulder and kent staniforth who's been on the podcast before we had that game out in hillmond and he got a jersey uh done up by uh lauren and her team there and i'm just staring at it i'm going man it looks sharp man it looks sharp so if you got any jersey that you're sitting there thinking about, uh, oh, I've been sitting holding on to this. Maybe I should go get it framed. Stop by and visit Lauren at Art and Soul. Uh, I know she'd sent me a note about a lady who'd gotten a, a family heirloom uh, done up. It was an auction sale poster. It looked pretty kick-ass too. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be a jersey. I always think uh, I got jerseys everywhere. I know a lot of hockey fans do, and she does an exceptional job. She's open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., uh, give her a call, 780-808-6313, or stop in 5016 39th Street. It's more than just a frame. It's a story. Gartner Management is a Lloyd Minster-based company specializing in types of rental properties to help meet any of your needs. Uh, obviously, they're housing the podcast, and uh, the room just continues to look unbelievable as we continue to uh, tweak and add things and and get it looking just top notch. And Wade uh, has been, uh, you know, unbelievable landlord thus far. So if you're looking at getting something uh, my size, a nice little small space, he's the guy. If you're looking for something bigger, 6,000 square feet commercial space, give Wade Gartner a call, 780-808-5025. Maz Entertainment wants to let you know if you're planning any intimate ceremonies, and we're starting to see a few more weddings uh, come out. Give this guy a call, or maybe you're a parent looking for a movies, games night. I finally got to watch uh, one at a birthday party this past weekend, and we watched The Sandlot. It was pretty kick-ass, I'm not going to lie. Sitting outside, had my son with me. He certainly enjoyed it. Uh, I was a little disappointed we didn't get to watch the end of it. It kind of got a little late. And so uh, we had to go find The Sandlot in the, in Netflix or whatever the heck it was. Uh, so we can finish it. I think it was actually uh, Disney+. Plus. Somebody will correct me on that. But if you're looking for a little bit of outside entertainment, keep the kids uh, going, check out Maz Entertainment's Facebook or Instagram for video and pictures. Give Cody a call, 780-214-2920. Carly Clausen, Windsor, Plywood, they are the builders of the podcast uh, studio table. I had a few people in today, and uh, the same thing happens. I I sound like a broken record. They walk in, they sit down. I go, holy crap, this is nice. Then they got to give it a little touch, a little feel. They ask all about it. I'm telling you, if you're interested in getting a table done or you want to see some cool work, head over to Windsor Plywood here in Lloydminster. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Give them a call, 780-875-9663. Uh, thanks again, Carly, for all the amazing work that you guys have done inside this studio. If you're interested in advertising on the show, visit SeanNewmanPodcast.com. We'd love to get you involved with the show. we got lots of different options, and I want, uh, I want to find something that can work for the both of us. So if you're interested in uh, 
advertising, check it out. Hit the website. Send me an email, and uh, we'll see what we can work out for you. All right? Now, on to the T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. Originally from Lloydminster, Alberta. As a 15-year-old, he suited up for the Junior A Lloydminster Blazers. Following this, he played two seasons for the Prince Albert Raiders in the WHL. He was drafted sixth overall in the 2000 NHL entry draft by the Nashville Predators. He played 17 seasons in the NHL with Nashville, Philadelphia, and Columbus. He played a combined 1,249 games, amassing 327 goals, 380 assists, 707 points, and 1,809 penalty minutes. He was selected to the 2012 NHL All-Star Game. He is also well known for his charity Hartnell Down, which helps support hockey children and communities around the U.S. and Canada. Currently, he can be found on the NHL Network as an analyst. I'm talking about Mr. Scott Hartnell. So buckle up. Here we go. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, a legend, Mr. Scott Hartnell. So thank you for hopping on with me. That's a, that's a big word, legend. I'm not sure if I'm legendary status or not. <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy. I, I was saying to a buddy of mine the other day, in the NHL, there's very few characters. And you're definitely a character that is well known throughout the NHL, throughout all of hockey. And I mean that as the best thing. I don't mean it as a bad thing. But in the NHL, lots of people are just, um, they have the hockey player answer, the cookie cutter answer. And your career has been anything but. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I kind of came in the league, you know, obviously 20 years ago. Uh, crazy to say that. And, you know, there were some characters. You had tough guys that were, you know, dropping the mitts every game. Uh, you know, guys like uh, like Ricci with the, you know, the long hair and the toothless smile and just looked like he got uh, out of bed uh, uh, every time he stood in front of the camera. And, and you can go on and on about the, the characters in the game. But, you know, I tried to kind of um, carve out a, a career for myself and, um, do the things that kind of made me successful, learned a lot along the way, uh, some great stories some great times. And, you know, unfortunately never won a Stanley cup was there once, but, um, you know, it was a fun career while it lasted. And, you know, it just seems like you look back now, I'm like, man, that went fast. <laughs> it's cra- crazy how, how quickly time passes, isn't it? It's yeah, it's, it goes too fast. And, you know, and now that I have kids, it's like, Oh man, that we had a daughter, uh, almost eight weeks ago, and it's like, holy man, it just seemed like, you know, yesterday we weren't sleeping for the first two weeks, you know what I mean? And now we're getting a little <laughs> bit more rest, but it's still a grind, and my other son, he's, uh, he's over two now, and it's just like, whoa, this is uh, unbelievable. Well, I was, I was laughing when you're like, I'm going to be late. I'm uh, in the middle of children. <laughs> I, I say to everybody, the listeners get tired of me talking about it. We got our oldest is four and we got three under four. So I know exactly what you're doing. You're, you're in the trenches right now. You're, you're running off of not many hours of sleep. You, you're not playing hockey. I'm sure you would jump at the first crack if they said, hey, Scotty, uh, we're going to fire up playoffs here in two weeks. Would you like some time away from the family to, to get a <laughs> play some hockey? 
if I was still playing, I'd be like, yeah, see you later, honey. Good luck. You know, uh, nowadays, you know, if I had to go uh, be an analyst on it, uh, you know, in one of these hub cities, I don't think I could, uh, you know, take it away just because I know how much, how much of a grind it is, uh, how hard it is for, uh, for the women that, uh, you know, do this as, you know, they're basically their jobs and uh, one of the hardest jobs they do. And uh, I have a great wife and a great mother, uh, uh, of our children but you know i just uh, you know you're trying to fight with them trying to put them down one scream and one needs diaper change and you're like you know sometimes you just want to scream but you gotta realize they're they're just kids they're just doing what they're gonna do and and uh, it, it's all good uh, had lots of are having lots of laughs every day with all of them you're enjoying fatherhood then uh it's it's amazing you know i uh i'll never forget the conversation me and my father had uh Oh, I don't know, probably 2011 ish, 12 ish, something like that. And, and, uh, you know, a single guy and, and, you know, obviously had tons of fun off the ice and, and all that could, you know, travel and do what I want and golf trips and, you know, Las Vegas in the summers and whatever. And, um, you know, he kind of just said, he's like, Hey, just, just, just so you know, when you do find, you know, that special someone and have that family, he goes, it's going to blow everything that you're doing out of the water. So, you know, make sure you find a, a good girl. And, and uh, I'm like, wow, I, that really hit home now that I do have the family and the wife and, and the kids and, and a home. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's amazing how, how smart our fathers are, how, you know, when you have that good one that you look up to. It's funny. You never uh, take the advice for what it's worth at the time when you're young. <laughs> No, I know. I was like, well, whatever, dad, I got, you know, going out here to Saturday night and, you know, in LA, when we're going to, you know, LA and whatever. Right. And uh, now it's like, wow, this is, uh, you know, kind of, you know, not that it was a perfect time. I retired and uh, my son came like literally a week after uh, we lost out in game seven, uh, my last year playing. So it was like kind of perfect timing for that. I can be all in on being a dad and, and uh, you know, instead of being, you know, like a lot of NHLers, they, they have kids while they're playing and, you know, they miss so much that I've uh, I've got to see and uh, got to see. So it's uh, I wouldn't change anything for the world. Speaking on your analyst side, you think the playoffs are going to happen with everything going on uh, with COVID, with riots, with just the state of the world currently? You think you think they're going to have a playoffs? Uh my guess would well they're going they're trying everything in their <laughs> in their powers to do so uh you know i don't think you know players there's some players that are all in there's some players that are you know kind of on the fence and there's some players that don't want to risk leaving and and you know maybe getting infected and you know might be in the you know older on in their careers where they might have won or whatever and they're like i don't want to you know i'm not worried about the you know hundred thousand dollars in escrow that we'll lose or whatever it might be. Right. There's a lot of different situations that every, every player has, but um, I think the world would love to see some sports, especially playoff sports, whatever sport that is. If it is baseball coming back, like they said last night, um, hockey and basketball and, and who knows about football even in, in the fall. But uh, if I was a betting man, I would say, yes, there will be, uh, playoffs and and you know it will be different without the fans and you know with all that jazz uh, and excitement for that you get from watching the games live or on tv from fans but you know it's still going to be some good hockey can you imagine going into a rink playing game one and not having well choose your pick you played in several different cities but everybody always remembers the I think your most iconic team was the Philly Flyers when you know the orange crush is going nuts and you know, they got the 
what you're going to do shirts with the, yeah. the, the fan, <laughs> the, the Hulk Hogan. And yeah. imagine going in there right now and having none of that. That I mean, don't get me wrong. We're all hockey players. Hockey players will find a way to get up for it, but it'll be strange. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, think of, uh, you know, Philadelphia Flyers, Chicago Blackhawks, 2010 finals and in Chicago at the Madhouse, you know, them singing that song when they scored. I still get uh, nightmares of that song, but, um, you know, imagine that song being played because that's their goal song, but with no one singing that tune or no one screaming your ears aren't you know you're not covering your ears on the bench because it's so loud so it will be it will be weird but you know at the end of the day it's hockey they're playing for the Stanley Cup they're going to be going balls to the wall maybe they can pump in some artificial sounds yeah I don't know about that it's like it's kind of like golf too you watch it and it's you know the fans when they get rolling on a Sunday roaring and and 18 and you know if if they thought about putting speakers out there it's not the same I think it's it is what it is we're in a a a weird pocket of time if you you know probably in 10 years everyone will look back like oh remember that year that you know there was no fans (laughs) you know and you know next year it'll be you know hopefully you know knock on wood back to normal but um you know it's uh just is what it is Speaking about, uh, normally I start back towards the beginning, but I was watching the um, highlights of the 2010 Cup run. And I, you know, I was talking with a couple guys here, and I'd all but forgotten. That came down to the last game of the season against the New York Rangers in a shootout to get into the playoffs. Wild. (laughs) What was that like? It was... uh... It was pretty crazy. I remember, you know, if we want to even go before the game, I always had, uh, uh, we played the two-touch soccer game. We, we uh, um, before warming up, you know, kind of doing your, you know, activation, whatever you want to call it, right? And and me and Aaron Asham, we'd, uh, we'd go have a quick, like, you know, two, three-minute hot tub and, you know, have a quick shower and put on your gear in five minutes and, and go for warm-up. And, and, you know, we were a little nervous, a little excited because we both knew this game you're in, right? And, and it was like, he's like, he's like, Scott, he's like, he didn't call me Scott. He goes, Hearts, he goes, whoever wins this, whoever wins this game is going to win the Stanley Cup. And I said, I said, you know, let's go do it, man. And, you know, got out there, got dressed and, you know, went into overtime shootout and, and went in the shootout and, you know, we end up, you know, rolling through the first round that come back against Boston and, and beat up on Montreal. And, and next thing you know, we're, we're playing for the finals and, and obviously a couple goals short of that, but uh, I love how cool. you just blow through all that. And, you know, it's just kinda, <laughs> you know, to the fans who don't remember, it's a one-one game, last game of the season. Oh, the last game, yeah. It it goes to a shootout, and you can see the tension on both benches. You can see the heartbreak. It almost looks like a, a, a game seven scenario, where the, which it pretty much is, right? And you can see the, the Rangers because there there was, I think, if memory serves me correct, there was you guys. And the Rangers both tied in points. Whoever wins goes into the playoff. Whoever loses misses. And I'm sure the, the sports writers had a field day with. They should have let it go continuous OT, but it goes to a shootout. <laughs> and in the shootout, you guys win. It looks like a Stanley Cup celebration. You get in the playoffs. Here you are, a seventh seed. And in the second round, you go down 3-0 to Boston, which, as we all know, has only happened four times in NHL history as a team come back. And you're one of those teams. What was what was it about the group, you know, that walked into being down three games to none? You had guys like Pronger on that team and the 
Jeff Carter's of the world and uh, um, Mike Richards. That group. Simone, yeah, Simone Gagne, Danny Briere, Billy Leno had a great, uh, great playoffs. Uh, James Van Riefsdyk was uh, a rookie there. So, you know, I could almost pretty much name all, all 20 guys that were dressed. And um, it, it was it was wild because if you go to the beginning of that series, game one in Boston, obviously they had home ice. We played a really good game and lost. And, and we're like, okay, you know, you know, we deserved a better fate, right? You know, you're watching video, blah, blah, blah. Game two, we played a really, really good game and lost. And we're like, oh, man, like, okay, home ice, we'll get them. Game three, we played one of our best games of the year and somehow lost. And we're like, boys, like, we, if we keep playing like this, we're going to win at least one game. And if we might win four in a row, who knows? But we can only win game four. And we play even a better game, game four. Mark Recchi ties it up with like 30 seconds to go uh, to send it in overtime. Uh, goalie pulled, and we're like, oh my God, this is how our season's going to end. Like, you know, being swept after, you know, the whole last game of the year, game 82 and whatever. And so we uh, uh, end up winning that game in overtime. We're now we're just like flying high. We go into Boston, we, you know, kick the crap out of them. We come back home, we win handily again, and then we go in game seven. and and our confidence is sky high. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Three, goal, three, three goals to nothing in the first, like, seven minutes of the game. And we're, we're looking around and we're like, what the hell just happened? We're just letting this whole hard work the last week just kind of go down the drain. Laviolette called a timeout. He brought uh, all the guys in. Michael Layton goes, you stop the puck. He's like, boys, we just need one goal. One goal the rest of this period. We'll make it 3-1. Um, and I guarantee you we're going to come back. And we're like, like oh, okay, we got like, you know, seven minutes to go or whatever it is, and let, let's get that goal. And uh, we ended up getting one, three, one, and came out uh, at a goal and assist in the second period. Uh, it was 3-3. Three, three, and then Simone Gagne had a great, uh, nice shot there on the power play towards the end of the game. And, and we held on, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the game. They had the full court press on us. But, you know, that, that comeback was pretty amazing, not only in game seven, but, you know, the whole deal uh, in the seven-game series was pretty neat. Yeah, well, and to do it uh, against the Boston Bruins is, like, you know, in the last 10 years, heck, maybe even a little longer than that, they've been one of the premier teams of the NHL. They've really uh, found a way to be competitive every single year. And to be down three games to none, well, there's a reason why it only happened four times in the history of the NHL. Like, it just – that is a hole to dig yourself out of. It says a lot about the group that you guys had in in Philly. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was maybe once or twice. I, you have to look it up. But anyway, I think there's one or two times before us uh, in hockey. One in another, another sport. I think it was basketball. And then we were the third or fourth team to do it. And then LA Kings did it uh, against San Jose a couple That's years right. after us when, when they won their Stanley Cup. So uh, not that it's more common now. It's only been twice in the last like a uh, hundred years, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of cool to do it and, you know, puts, uh, puts our, our team and our names uh, in history. Well, let's go back to, uh, to the beginning and come back to Lloyd to, for me. Uh, you played for the Lloyd Minster Blazers. You know, if we go to the junior A ranks, um, for a year as a 15 year old, what was, what was playing for the hometown club like back then? Uh, it was, you know, pretty cool. You know, I, you know, if you even go back a little bit earlier than that, you know, my peewee, uh, I was in Adam 
and I was a really good Adam player my first year Adam. So I wanted to, you know, uh, we thought it'd be good that I moved up to hitting in Pee Wee and, and move up a year. So I would have been, uh, you know, a year younger, underage, I guess you'd say, uh, in Pee Wee. And I tried out for the double A team and, you know, I got cut from that. And so I went and played Pee Wee A as an underage instead of going back to Adam and, um, dominating that league. So I learned to hit, learned to, you know, against maybe not the best players in, in, uh, in hockey that year in Pee Wee A, but then at the end of the year, I got called up to, for Pee Wee double A and, you know, the next season played Pee Wee double A and, and then it was like, okay, I'm, you know, 15 male trial for the Blazers. And, and, uh, Gord Thibodeau was my coach there. And, you know, he was, uh, uh, just a great coach that was hard on me. Uh, you know, make sure I was learning, learning the game, learning, uh, systems, all the kind of stuff I could do at that age. And, uh, really appreciated his guidance and, and, uh, you know, everything through that year. So, uh, being at home, trying out for the Blazers. I thought that was the NHL. I watched both of my brothers play for the Blazers. I, you know, I was the, the rink rat holding, you know, um, over the benches. Hey, can I have your stick? Can I have your stick? And, you know, you know, I didn't know the guys, I thought they got free sticks. Right. And like, Hey, why didn't you give me one? You know, come on, buddy. And, and so, uh, that was kind of the NHL in my eyes. Uh, watching uh, my brothers play junior hockey. And, and, uh, you know, when I made that team, that was pretty sweet. And, you know, uh, I guess I, I had to set my eyes a little uh, a little higher in the hockey ranks to, to get where I really wanted to go. Well, and you rose quickly. You know, you talk about playing as a, an underage at the younger levels and then making a, a junior A squad at 15. That's impressive in itself. Um, I was laughing. I went back through that roster. I was trying to see who was, who was playing with you, you know, the names that stuck out. I've had Chris Weeb on, on the podcast before. He was playing back then. You guys are the leading yep. That year was Mark Hallam. Um, a couple of guys that I recognize from around town is Randy Dugan and Dallin Falsher. Although Dallin probably didn't play a whole lot. It looked like he'd only played a handful of games. But yeah. that would probably be some names that uh, would stick out to you and bring back some memories. Yeah, Ryan Faulkner as well. He was uh, he was my line mate, me, me Chris Weave, and Ryan Faulkner. And we, we got out there. Uh, and I'll never forget, too, the first, I think it was maybe seven, six, seven, eight games I had probably like eight or nine points. I was right up there at the top of the league of scoring. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so easy. You know? <laughs> and I, you know, I remember just being like pretty cocky. Right. And, and uh, you know, the next few games had just terrible games, you know, kind of the high of making the team was gone and, you know, couldn't kind of maybe keep up that pace and, and a little cockiness too in there as well. But, you know, didn't have a few good games and Gord Thibodeau uh, sat me for a game. And, you know, I was just like, why am I, you know, top you know almost top of the team in points now and whatever and and uh, he's like he's like you're playing like crap like you need to you know take a look in the mirror and I was like oh you know so I you know obviously talked to my dad and he's like yeah you know you're you know let things get good to you and and uh uh you know you got to wake it up and, and get back in the lineup so next practice I was you know the hardest working guy out in practice and and uh, uh try to get back in the lineup and you know I did and things things went from there so Cool. I was, I was, you know, some of the coaches you've had, even Gord Thibodeau, Gord Thibodeau, uh, another guy I've had actually on the podcast and getting to listen to him and his thoughts and processes, but he's a guy who holds the all time record for most wins in the AJHL. And so to have him at a young age and then, you know, into the NHL, like guys like Barry Trotz and, mm -hmm. uh, all the Peter Laviolette, yeah. Laviolette, I can't even spit it out, yeah. right? The cup winners, right? Like those guys yeah. have had extensive careers 
Uh, John Tortorell is another one. I'm sure he was a, a handful or an interesting. Oh, yeah. At least he, <laughs> yeah. he enjoys dealing with media on a day-to-day basis, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you've had some really cool coaches that have been very successful to help uh, um, kind of guide your career or shape it at least. Um, to be sat as a guy who's, you know, probably at the top of the points on your team right off the hop, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting way to make sure everybody's pulling in the same direction, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I was I remembered uh, uh, one of my or my agent that I had at the time, and uh, I uh, he came to you know kind of meet me and my family, and we've talked to a few of them, but the big agent was coming in town to meet me, and I was like so excited to, you know to play for him and you know just let him see what I can do on the ice. And that was the game that got scratched, so I you know <laughs> sat up with him for a period. I was like you know man, he's like he's, and you know he gave me a couple good you know things for advice to you know. Uh, get working hard and you know keep your chin up and this and that blah 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 right everything that uh, that you do so it was uh, uh, pretty funny just to how the timing of that all worked out I'm sure even Gord Thibodeau probably knew that he was probably coming to town and said oh this is a good lesson to uh, for him to learn as a, a early man a young man and um, uh, one guy you forgot Kevin McCollin my coach in Prince Albert for the Raiders uh, yeah right former right. former, former Edmonton Oiler uh, you know, his claim to fame, one of the biggest goals in Edmonton Oilers history back in the 80s, uh, you know, when they won a Stanley or one of their Stanley Cups. So a uh, big tough guy there for the Oilers. So to, to play for him in junior, uh, hearing his stories at the NHL and, you know, that kind of lifestyle was, uh, you know, very uh, gave me a lot of motivation to, you know, set my sights bigger than just leaving Lloyd, going to PA to play junior hockey was the NHL. So it was, uh, you know, along the way those people give you motivation and things to look forward to and strive for and, and definitely had some great coaches along the way you speak of pa um I, I love to ask guys about the bantam draft bantam draft is like giant now heck you know the sghl just did uh, uh, a version well their version of it now of the bantam draft mm-hmm. uh and kids get so um excited or or beat down if they're selected or not selected in it um, knowing you got selected, uh, I think it was seventh overall by PA back in 1997, the way <laughs> do, do you remember, was it just a phone call? Was it, were you paying attention to it? Uh, was it a big it, deal to you? Well, internet wasn't around. I, I don't think 97, maybe dial up was, but you know, someone pick up the phone, you know, while you were uh, on the internet, it got cut off. So you had to dial back in and, you know, it took you a minute or two to dial in, but you know, I remember fielding uh, some calls from different teams that were, you know, from, you know, number three or four that were picking to, you know, eight or 10. And, you know, a couple, uh, I know remember one was Prince George and, and, you know, I know my family, my dad being a, a principal and in the education system and on how long their bus rides were, how much they were on the road. He didn't want me to uh, go to that team just because of education and how probably it would have suffered where, you know, PA was, uh, you know, perfect. It was Saskatchewan schooling. It could transfer back to Lloydminster after, uh, after the hockey season. So it wasn't that we picked a place to go. It was just, uh, it ended up being a, a perfect fit for us and it was close. So mom and dad were almost at every game, uh, uh you know, and then they were up working, uh, you know, at, at the schools, uh, the next day, both of them. So, it ended up being, uh, so yeah, like, like I said, the, the original question, did I field some calls? Yeah, it was, you know, a few calls, but, you know, it wasn't until like maybe the next day I got a call from from uh, the Raiders uh, general manager saying, yeah, well, Scotty, we picked you, you know, our, our training camps this day, we'll see you, you know, this day we'll get you a billet lined up. And, you know, that was 
that was it. Like, you know, not much talk until <laughs> you showed up for training camp really in, in, in September. So it was uh, just a, a wild experience, but you know, uh, something that's a lot different today. Uh, you fast forward 20 some years and it's uh, almost a spectacle and, and uh, you know, who's, who's who of hockey and this guy got picked before this guy. And it, it, there wasn't that much competition. Uh, maybe there was, it just, you know, no one really talked about it. Uh, speaking of PA, did you ever get to experience, um, two years ago, they make the finals and the craziness of the fans, which was awesome to see, you know, one of the great and terrible things about social media is sometimes social media can be a little bit, uh, much, but sometimes it can show you really cool things. And, uh, PA, when they were in the finals, I mean, the fans were like the, the milk crates and everything else. You got to play there for a couple of years. I know you didn't make the finals, but um, did you ever get to experience or what were the fans like back in the day for you in PA? Well, it was, you know, like, like the NHL to me, right? At the time, you don't really know much different, right? You come from playing junior hockey to the Lloyd Mr. Blazers and you're traveling around with the bus <laughs> with your tracksuit on. You're like, ah, this is cool, you know, driving six hours to Calgary to play the Canucks and the Royals and, you know, and next thing you know, you're driving 24 hours and you're playing uh, Tacoma and Seattle and Portland and 24 hours back. Uh, uh, and then you got to go to school the next day. Right. And, and, you know, for our barn, it was, you know, 3,000, 3,500 people. And, you know, not that we were selling out. The only time I think we sold out was when Jordan Tutu came to town uh, with the Brandon Wheat Kings, and and it was just a goddamn madhouse <laughs> in there. But uh, which is, was really cool to experience as well. And a funny story about Toots in PA. Uh, he was backing up like a defenseman and uh, chipped the puck in, and you know was kind of going to go around. He wasn't really skating backwards, and then he goes down, submarine submarines me at the knees. I go flying over him. And, you know, then I kind of follow him and he's like, kind of like, he's waiting for me to punch him. Right. And so finally whistle blows and I finally pop him, you know, kind of not a brawl, but you know, everyone's punching each other and I get two minutes and, um, you know, man, I think I felt something in my knee. Right. I'm like, you know, go back at, you know, uh, you know, after the period or whatever. And sure enough, I had some cartilage torn in my knee and had to get a scope. And this is back in 98. And I'm like, Oh man, my career's over. And uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I got the scope done and, and, you know, a couple of weeks I was fine. And, you know, I wanted to get that toots back, you know, so bad. And, you know, then he gets drafted to Nashville and, you know, ends up being, you know, one of the best guys and, you know, one of the best men I know uh, in, in the game, in and out of the game hockey now, both of us now, but um, just a, a credible story that he had. And, you know, it's kind of weird, uh, weird how those things happen. You, you hate a guy for something they do or something they say on the ice and then you become teammates with him and uh, he's like the best, uh, best man around. So it's kind of funny how, how the hockey world works. Was it a few tense moments in Nashville when he first walked in the dressing room where you're like, you remember, you remember me, big fella? Oh, yeah. I still bring it up to him, uh, you know, in the summers, we're having a good time. And, uh, you know, you guys get around a lot of hockey guys in Kelowna. We tell the, tell the stories and things like that. It's one of my favorite uh, stories to tell about Toots. How about the draft day? Uh, you know, the draft that year, I kind of had all but forgotten was in Calgary. So it was nice and close for you. Um, at the yeah. time, I assume you know you're going to go in the first round. I assume that you're heading down there. You probably got all your family. You're excited. Um, did you have any idea you were going in the top ten? 
Uh, yeah, you know, the central scouting rankings were out there. I think I was rated five, so I knew I was probably going to go high. And, and uh, so we showed up, I think, a couple days early before the draft day to do the draft pre-draft meetings with teams. They run you around in hotels, and you're talking to – I uh, talked a, a few times with Columbus Blue Jackets. They drafted fourth. Uh, Islanders, I had one meeting. They drafted first and fifth. Um, you know, a few other teams. But, you know, teams that were probably below 10, they didn't uh, really need to kind of – they probably figured I was going to be picked before before then. So it was just, a, you know, a, a half a dozen or so teams that uh, that I ended up talking to uh, for the majority of the part. Um uh, yeah, and it was right during graduation too for for us, you know, grad of 2000, and that was kind of a big deal uh, back then. And you know, I think I left the all night, or you know, you're supposed to stay all night till seven in the morning and drink and party with your friends, right? And and my dad was a chaperone, and he goes, "Okay, you can stay till like one, you know, one thirty. Then we got to go because you got to get a couple hours sleep. We're driving to Calgary for the draft." I was like, I was so mad at him, but you know, I was like, "All right, I get it, I get it." So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, just get out, get out a lot of them, miss a couple days of of the whole. So, uh, six, so what you're saying day. is, is you may have been hungover for the actual drafting. <laughs> no, no, no. This was a couple days before, so uh, <laughs> I had those meet the the meetings and stuff. But yeah, it was. Uh, just kind of a wild, wild few days. You, you look back and you know how nervous you were. And uh, one of the, one of my f- funniest stories of my career, not even not even hockey wise, but you know I'm sitting in a, I just got out of a National Predator meeting, you know, with David Poyle and uh, Barry Trotz and you know six or eight of the uh, scouting staff or whatever. Uh, you know, half hour, forty five meeting, and you know my agents there, and we shuffled down the down a few uh, doors down and Columbus Blue Jackets are there and they dra- were drafted fourth. And uh, this is like my second, third meeting with them and had a couple meetings already with Nashville. So I knew it was maybe one of those two teams. Right. And, and uh, this one was with the psychologist of the team uh, and the general manager. So there's only three, three people in there, two psychologists and, and uh, uh, I think it was uh, Riseboro, I think anyway, GM of Columbus at the time. And, so we go in there and, and they're just like, what? And this is one of their questions. And this is after a few kind of weird questions, right? So my mind's kind of all over the place. I'm like, what are they going to ask next? You know? And so like, how would it feel to put on our uniform? And this is, I'm talking to the um, Blue Jackets staff. And they're like, how would it feel to put on our uniform? And, and you know, that opening night of, of uh, the season. And I said, oh man, it would be so awesome to put on a Nashville Predator uniform you know, and, I, and I'm looking at them and, you know, kind of do that to put on, like, pretend I'm putting on the jersey and I'm like, oh, shucks, I, I'm, not, I'm in the wrong team. And I'm like, God, ah, just kidding, guys, you know, blah, 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 you know, and they all started laughing. So I thought I played this off perfectly. I'm like, oh, I'm so funny, like, you know, witty, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, the, the, you, know, you know, shake your hands or whatever. And one of the psychologists walks me out and he goes, he goes, you kind of screwed up there. You didn't really mean to make that joke. And did you about the Jersey? And I said, no. And he goes, he goes, I knew it. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> all right. You knew exactly what I was thinking, what I was going to say next. And so it was uh, pretty funny at the time. I, you know, had a, had a good couple laughs with the family after that one. I expect, uh, you know, the guys, D Pietro goes first that year, which I'm not positive on how many goalies went first overall, but it is very few. Um, Danny Heatley, um, a few others in there. But when your name finally gets called, that had to have been, A, an exciting moment, and I assume you were excited to go to Nashville. 
Yeah, very excited. I remember when it was, I was, I said I was ranked fifth by Central Scouting. So uh, when the Islanders came up for their second pick uh, in that draft, it was, you know, all the cameras came around us, uh, you know, we're sitting front row in the stands to me, my mom and dad, brothers, sister, aunties, uncles, you know, had a bunch of, a uh, bunch of family there. And, and, you know, New York Islanders would like to select with a fifth overall draft uh, in the 2000 entry, entry draft on, and, you know, I'm kind of getting still sweaty, clammy, everything. And Rafi Torres from the OHL. And my mom's like, yes. <laughs> but she didn't want me to go to, you know, New York. You know, the franchise had some bad drafts, trees, traffic's bad, blah, blah, whatever it was. And, and so then all the cameras are like, whoa, where's Rafi sitting? You know, like they're trying to zoom in on him hugging his family for, you know, for all for TV. And then uh, they stuck around for the next one, uh, the next pick sixth overall, which was Nashville. And, and I uh, was ready to, ready to rock then. So I was very happy that I got selected to the Preds. It was a, it's a great organization and I uh, loved all my time there. Do you ever get used to the cameras being on you like that? Uh, yeah. Over time you do, you know, kind of, you know, being a young kid, uh, uh, you know, you're a little shy of them or, you know, what to say, but, you know, I've, you know, for doing it so long, you kind of, um, you get used to it. You kind of, you know, kind of roll with it. Uh, you know, sometimes they're there watching you, you know, they're right in your face and you're tying your skates right before, uh, you get out there for a puck drop and they're right there and you're trying not to smile and guys are chirping you and trying to make you smile, but you're trying to put on the game <laughs> face. And so I didn't even try and hide it. I was like, you know, hi mom, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, during, uh, it's 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 almost unbelievable how much access media gets to you guys um, as soon as you get to the rink. So you gotta have a strong mental game, man, to be able to deal with like having, like you say, having a camera right in your face all the way up. Because you know, you, all the way up to that point, I would assume, um, you know, you get in the dressing room and it's kind of like, okay, it's business. There's there's nothing, you know, or maybe maybe it wasn't. I don't know. What is it from your perspective? Yeah, well, I was, I'm kind of a jokester, prankster, and, you know, like that fun. And, you know, I thought, uh, you know, uh, you talk about uh, characters of the game. It was, you know, for me, you know, I kind of kept things loose, whether it was a joke or a prank or, you know, some something funny on the ice of practice and, you know, just to keep things fun, right? So you're playing and we're still playing a game at the end of the day. Yeah, we're getting paid, you know, millions of bucks to put the puck in the net and, you know, go on streaks and get in the playoffs. But, you know, it's, uh, you got to have fun at there, uh, out there at the end of the day. And uh, whether that be, you know, playing kickball before, you know, practices or games or, um, you know, cutting somebody's laces and they're cut, you know, scrambling to get in and they, you know, <laughs> rip their lace and it's three minutes to go to practice and they show up a minute late and coach gives it to them and, you know, everyone's in on the prank, right? So it's, uh, it, it makes them sweat a little bit, but everyone's having a good time. So uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, I always tried to have fun every day. I was, at the rink and, and, uh, you know, definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of laughs. Uh, I don't know, courtesy of me or at me or, or however you want to put it, but it was, a, it was a fun, uh, fun career to have. Well, now you got me interested. What's the best prank then you've done on somebody? Um, <laughs> when I got, uh, uh, it was in Philadelphia and I was, uh, one of the rookies was just a few down for me and, you know, kind of planned it where I had my lace broke, uh, would break whatever. I'm like, Oh man, I'm like, I might run out of time and he was already standing up. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Hey, Willie, you know, do you mind going asking uh, uh nasty, one of the trainers for a left lace? 
right? And, and uh, you know, it's my left skate that broke. And as everyone knows, there's not a right or left to your skate laces, right? So he, he runs out of there and he's like, he's like, nasty, nasty. He's like, do you have a left lace for Scott for hearts? Uh, he just broke his a left lace for hearts. And everyone's just like dying laughing. And he's like, he's like, what? What are you laughing at? And everyone's like, a left lace, really? He's like, oh, hearts, you idiot. He's like, screw you, right? <laughs> So uh, that was a pretty good, but not uh, not like a you know huge uh, huge prank, but something that uh, we got a good crack out of. What's the best prank that's been pulled on you then, when you were the young kid? Um, just off the top of my head, my you know on our way to my first NHL game, uh, which is in Tokyo, Japan, for the Predators, we played Pittsburgh Penguins in the um, I don't know if it was planet series or whatever they called it uh, world series whatever it was uh, they called the first uh, two games overseas uh, you know one was a home game for us one was a home game for the penguins and um, we flew from nashville to detroit and then we took like a 12 14 hour flight to, all the way to tokyo japan and uh that first two hour flight to detroit i you know took my shoes off you know like i did on my way down to training camp and you know kind of fell asleep we had nice track suits on and you know, wake up and no shoes were <laughs> under my, in my, uh, on the plane. And I'm like, I'm like looking around and no one's looking at me. I'm like, okay, someone's still, I'm like, guys, uh, anyone want to give me my shoes here? And no answer. Right. I'm like, Oh man. So get out, you know, get off the plane and, you know, I'm walking through and, you know, we got like a mile to the next gate and, you know, we, <laughs> we're going through and I'm sitting there, I'm looking around, no one's, give my shoes back and Barry Trotz comes over he's like Scotty where's your shoes you know and then Easter I'm like well, I fell asleep coach and uh you know woke up and no shoes there he goes he goes first mistake never fall asleep on a plane when you're a rookie and I'm like all right noted coach no noted and so I was like oh, I gotta go to the washroom you know and you know nasty washrooms are especially at an airport there's pee on the ground and all this stuff so I'm like tiptoeing around and trying to take a pee and come back and Lo and behold, right by my bag were my shoes. So someone, I still don't know who did it or who gave them back or, or what, but uh, a lesson learned. I, uh, you know, tried to stay awake and watch movies, play uh, play some cards on, on planes. So I didn't, uh, didn't have that happen to me again. Oh, that's clean fun. That's good stuff. <laughs> what was playing in Japan like? There's something that most NHLers don't get to say. What was what, sorry? Playing in Japan, like. For like music just, or no 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 japan just uh you said you went over wasn't it tokyo you said yep 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 yeah we yeah, flew over there and we we played pittsburgh penguins for two games uh in my first year it was wild it was you know you know, look back at you know my game game three of my career four you know there was you know it wasn't full of japanese people in the stands right it was <laughs> it was it was so insane and my first, my first NHL shift, I'll never forget. It was me, Greg Clausen, uh, good Saskatchewan kid, and Billy Peltonen, uh, veteran Finnish uh, uh, right winger. And so we were out there, and Pittsburgh Penguins had last change. And you know, when you're looking around, I'm like, man, this is cool. I'm like, I'm like NHL, but I'm like, we're in Tokyo, whatever. So I look back at the bench, and Barry Trotz is like this. You know, he's like, change, you know, change it up. That's the universal symbol for change it up, right? And, but, you know, the week before we were doing these face-off plays and one of the plays was around the world, right? And so the centerman would win the puck back, the inside winger on the left winger, I'd come up around behind him, pick it up, go down in the corner, take a, a shot from the corner, call it around, you know, almost going around the world, around the circle. So I look back and I look and they got 
Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager, and Jan Herdin out there for they had last change. They put them up. And Trotsky's giving her one of these, right? And Clausen goes to me like dead serious. He's like, all right, kid, uh, around the world. He's like, I'm gonna win, win the puck. I said, no, 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 it means change it up. We gotta, we gotta get the f off the ice here. <laughs> so literally, puck drops. He doesn't even know where it went. He lost the draw for sure because it didn't go back. <laughs> and he and him, we sprint all the way down the ice and change literally a four and a half second shift. And we're like, and we're sitting there like, what a shift. We're bouncing. We're ready. Our heart rate's at like 160 for that four second sprint. <laughs> And we're like, what a what a start to the NHL, right? So it was. I think I only had maybe four or five shifts that game, but it was still uh, what a start. It, my career did go up after that. I, man, Mario and Yager, that that's quite the company. You get to play with Yager down the road, but before we even talk about that, what was Mario like being on the same ice surface as him? It was pretty cool. Uh, not gonna lie, it was uh, you know one of the guys that you idolized that you watched all his goals and highlights and shots and uh, passes, everything. It was a guy that, uh, you know, kind of walked on water for, for a, a growing up hockey player in Canada and, you know, to play my first shift uh, against him, even though it was only four seconds. And, you know, even when he came back from, from his cancer, it was, I think one of his first games was against us Nashville in Nashville and uh, I think he only played about a period and a half of that game because we were up like eight nothing on him. And he's like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to stick around here. I'm the owner slash player. I'm just going to, you know, go, go and ice my back. Uh, um, but anyway, playing, playing against him and, and obviously uh, um, Yager, those guys, it was just the names that were elite that, uh, um, that you kind of idolized. Uh, Peter Forsberg was another guy for me that, you know, I idolized, I looked up to, and was fortunate enough to play with him uh, for for a half a season in Nashville as well. So, um, the hockey world's a small world. It's you know, there's not many degrees of separation for anybody, and uh, pretty uh, pretty neat. And I'm and literally, not many bad guys you get to meet in in the hockey world as well. So very lucky to play a, a sport where uh, there's great guys, uh, great people, and you know, great organizations as well to go along with it. You got to play in a line with Yager. What was what was playing with that guy like? He, he was intense, man. He was uh, uh, it was his first year back from I think he went to Russia for five years, four or five years. I, I don't exactly something like that. And Philly was the first team that he signed for, and obviously he played a few years after after us. But um, I remember getting on a line with him. I started on the fourth line that year at a um, not a great training camp, you know. Uh, uh, the first few games were okay. I was playing fourth line, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of are like, oh, so, so our team and Laviolette gave me a chance with uh, Drew and Yager. I'm like, okay, I got one game to, you know, this is going to save my season and, you know, whatever. Right. And, and played so good with these guys. We were, you know, felt like we played together for years. Right. And, and, but no points. Uh, I think we end up losing the game. And I'm like, you know, call my agent after my dad. I'm like, man, I'm like I'm done. I'm back to the fourth line or whatever. And he goes, no, no, you guys, you guys were so good. They, they'll watch the film. Coaches will watch and, and you'll get another chance at them or with them. So, you know, just can't wait for the next day of practice to see if I'm actually practicing with them. Right. And sure enough, I was. And. I couldn't wait for that next game. And I got two goals, two assists. And, you know, I was right back on my, uh, you know, points per game, you know, by, you know, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 points per game. <laughs> so I was like, okay, perfect. And then, you know, had a, had a heck of a season with those a heck guys. Of a year. But, um, 
you know, a couple stories about Yogg's uh, and Claude Giroux to, for that fact. It, we'd be getting ready for a game and, and you know, hour and a half before the game, you know, I've been there for already an hour or so already. And, and Yogg's would come up to me and, and he'd be like, Scotty, he'd call me Scotty. Scotty, I feel so good tonight. He's like, he's like, I'm going to dump the puck into your corner. He's like, you got to go in there, get body position, and you hold the puck, Scotty. Scotty, hold the puck. He's like, it's got to be like three, four seconds you hold the puck. It takes me a while to get there, Scotty, but I got to get there. I'm going to control it. I'm going to beat the two guys, and I'm going to score, okay? And I'm like, okay, that's cool, right? Okay, no big deal. And literally, I'd walk away. Two minutes later, <laughs> Drew would come up to me. Hearts, he's like, oh man, I'm feeling, I'm feeling tonight. You got to give me the pocket and get open. I'm going to give it right back to you. And I'm like, uh, I'm not even going to tell you what Yogg said because he said the exact, he wants the puck. So I got two guys that want the puck on my line, which is great for me because I'm not the stick handler, the, the skater, the playmaker. I'm, I'm there around the net. I'm there getting myself open for shots. So I'll put in the rebounds. And, and, you know, I think we had a heck of a night that night. And I'm like, okay. And then after the game, I told them both, I said, you know, you said this and you said this. I'm like, couldn't have worked out any better for me. Just to get you guys the puck ahead of the net. And I got a few points. So uh, we won the game. So pretty, pretty cool guys. And then uh, for, for Yager, I remember, I don't know if it was just those mid uh, mid season blues. You know, you got game thirty five, and you know you got forty seven games left, whatever it is, and and you know it's just a grind. And you just got off the road of a you know ten day road trip, and my practice, I had a bad practice, and uh, I didn't really care to be out there, or whatever. And Yager came up to me after practice. He goes, he goes, listen, Scotty. He goes, I came over here to win a Stanley Cup. He goes, he goes, you screwed me today. You know, you screwed the team today. You screwed the organization today. I need you, Scotty, to be the best back practice player every day, every day. And, you know, we practice how we get to play on the ice. And he gave me a, you know, a talking to for probably a minute and a half, two minutes. And I was like, I was like, man, this guy is like serious, right? Like it was kind of a wake up call, right? And it was good to have because that, that next practice, I, you know, I was prepared. I was warmed up. I was ready to go. And, and we had a heck of a practice. And, you know, I think we had a good few games in a row uh, with not much practice in between. Right. So it's amazing how those guys can give you those little, you know, bumps of advice or uh, lectures, whatever you need to be, because uh, he was the best player that I've ever played with, you know, his whole career and the points and goals and, and uh, accolades and all that stuff. So, um, to hear that from him was, uh, you know, kind of awakening, I guess, in my career. I wish I would have had that at, at 19 years old, right, instead of uh, uh, 29 or whatever I was. But uh, it was uh, it was still pretty cool to see. Is it true, the story I've always heard about Yager is he would have keys to the rink, and I don't know if this was in Philly, but he'd have keys to the rink and he'd convince people to go to the rink with him at all hours of the day to work on things. Like, was he uh, that intense? I, I don't think he had to really convince many many guys if uh, if he wanted someone there to pass him uh, some pucks, whether that was a trainer that came with him late or, uh, you know, uh, one of the guys that just wanted to uh, be around him and kind of see him work and his aura. And, and uh, yeah, he, he was definitely there, uh, I wouldn't say all the time, but I would say probably, you know, on average once or twice a week, probably, you know, without the, you know, without playing games, depending on the schedule too, but he would go there at 1130, 12 o'clock at night. And, you know, he'd be in there, turn the lights on and, and would shoot pucks and, you know, do some stops and starts and turns and things like that, protecting the puck. And, 
uh, you know, a couple times too, it was, uh, um, you know, a senior game going on out there. And he's like, Hey, you guys mind if I come play with you guys? So he armor Yagu's out there playing with these, these schmelts out here in, in Philly. Uh, they're like probably made their whole lives right. Playing with this guy. So, um, it was just, uh, what he did like they like practice in practice out off the ice on the ice. He was uh, one of the hardest working guys that, uh, um, I've ever been around. How about being on a mo or in a movie? This is 40. How the heck did that even come about? No big deal, huh? Movie no started. big deal. Absolutely. You thought this was about hockey. Now we're, we're talking movies. <laughs> well, I, you know what? When, when you first, when we're watching the movie, right? That movie comes out for, I'm assuming most people remember this is 40. It was freaking hilarious. And it had some big stars in it. Paul Rudd and, uh, uh, Les Leslie Mann. Thank you, Leslie Mann, a young yeah. Megan Fox. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, Scott Hartnell walks in. And who are the two guys with you? Uh, there's uh, JVR, James Van Riemsdyk, Ian LaPerriere, and Matt Carl. Oh, so and Matt Carl, four, four of you. Yeah. Four of you, that's right. Four, four, four of us and uh, two hockey players that were actors that were kind of doing the talking at, after our scene that we were in the bar. Um, uh, how it happened, it's, well, you could probably be uh, Ian LaPerriere with, uh, with the flipper in his <laughs> mouth. And so they wanted it. That was the whole point of the scene was to give Megan Fox his, his fake tooth. And um, I didn't know that. So there was two, two of the flippers, right? And so flippers are the things that you can take in and out of your mouth for people that are listening that, that you take out when you play hockey so you don't lose it or swallow it or whatever. And then you put it back in when you're done and you want to look good. You obviously don't look good there, Sean, but uh, no, no big deal. <laughs> and so there's two. And I was like, I'm like, Oh, she's going to actually put in his, like, not that I'm a germaphobe, but like he's going to put, she's going to put Ian LaPerrier's flipper in his mouth. That's disgusting. But anyway, she had her own thing that was sanitized. So they both had their, their own. And, so anyways, they handed it underneath the, the line of the camera, right? So the camera's here. So the pass was below it. And um, so she, you know, took it, but she had it already in her hand, right? And, you know, hey, we've got the fake teeth and whatever. Uh, so that was the whole premise of the, the scene, right? And so they wanted to get guys that were either American or, uh, and I had a green card. So I uh, was lucky enough to say, uh, yes, I, for sure, I'll go help, uh, you know, Judd Apatow movie. This is this is going to be awesome. And um, Leslie Mann couldn't have been great. Uh, Megan Fox, she was uh, not the nicest person in the world. I'm not going to say anything bad about her, but she was just there for all all business. No, you know, just trying to be nice and make conversation. She didn't even want to say hi to any of us guys. And um, but it was a, it was a cool experience. We were there from six in the morning till uh, almost midnight at night. It was like one of the longest my longest days of my life just because you were there in a suit at 6 a.m you know dressed up like we we're you know after a game like the whole scene you know uh says and i'm looking around we get there at six o'clock i'm like oh my god there's like 40 hot girls here like this is unbelievable i'm like why are they all dressed up like i didn't you know six the morning i was tired or whatever but i'm like why do they all look so good i'm like oh and then the first scene was at you know eight o'clock or eight thirty i'm like oh we're in a nightclub I get it. You know, they can't be wearing their pajamas at, you know, six in the morning. So 
just the whole way that they filmed it and and you know I didn't really know much about movie making or anything but uh, just to see it firsthand and and to be a part of it and um, you know still get the residual checks from uh, um, Universal NBC Studios and uh, you know every every couple months I get a check for about 20 bucks but uh, they're nothing I guess so <laughs> you're getting residual checks from Universal still for that movie? I, 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 yeah, it must be on TV, you know, on, you know, on the Bravo channels or whatever you call it. And, and, uh, I can't imagine if I'm getting like $20 for this, I can't imagine what Paul Rudd gets for being no you know, actually in, <laughs> in it. Right. So, uh, it, it was just, it was funny. And, and all the extras, the girls and stuff and that were around, they knew that we had speaking parts in, in the movie. Right. So they're like, being extra friendly to us for like you know no parent i'm like why is it i'm like why is everyone wanting to get close to us like when you're trying to dance and all this kind of stuff and i'm like oh they know that the cameras are on us so they want to be close they're just using us to get <laughs> to get noticed on a thing so it was i was like i couldn't so i learned so many things that day even though it was like such a long day but um it was uh, just pretty cool so now i'm done playing hockey uh you know maybe try and get a little bit more of that <laughs> just kidding just kidding did you go around afterwards uh scott hartnell i'm an actor okay <laughs> yeah for well, when it came out i did for sure it was during the lockout as well uh in 2012 or 13 and so the movie premiere was in December. So I had nothing to do. I'm like, yeah, I'll go out first. So I flew out to LA and, you know, we did the whole uh, red carpet us hockey guys and, you know, sat in a big uh, Oriental uh, uh, premiere movie theater where they have uh, the premieres and, you know, we're sitting there and, you know, looking around, there's stars from all these other movies there watching. And I'm like, wow, this is this is pretty neat. This is better than being a hockey player for a night. Right. So um, had a had a blast and, you know, it was uh, just seeing your, seeing my mug on the big screen, you know, you kind of get in that movie mode and you, you kind of forget why, why you're there watching. And it's like, they go down the stairs and into this club, I started to sweat. I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, I, I haven't seen it yet either. didn't see the, didn't see the final. I don't know if we're on there for, you know, 20 seconds or 40 seconds, three minutes. I had no idea. Uh, I think it's just over a minute. I think that we're all on there, but like to see my face. I think I was the first guy. Oh yeah. We played for the Philadelphia Flyers and my hair is out to here. And I'm like, Oh God. Oh God. Once you got back playing, you know, hockey again, were you getting razzed through the league for that? Did anybody no. uh, throw out anything? No, probably more jealousy than anything. Well, and I mean, I mean that. Yeah. 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 But nobody commented. Nobody walked by and seen, I seen you in the latest nothing. Well, it's and what's the weirdest part. I was on a flight somewhere, maybe at right, right when it's getting released, but it wasn't released yet. And this, this couple right beside me, I'm on the aisle and they're in the middle and window seat and they have their uh, iPad out and they're watching, they start watching this movie. And I'm like, you know, looking like this, like, Oh, I wonder what they're watching there. And no, no shit. It was, uh, this is 40. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if they're going to notice me. Right. So now I'm watching the movie like an, they're like moving it away, like you know, like don't watch me. And anyway, they watched the whole movie and didn't say anything to me. So I'm like, I guess I, I guess I didn't leave an impression. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that you're probably known for now the most, which is funny, you probably think it's hilarious, is Hartnell Down. I mean, um, the the what's come out of it has been amazing, and the kids' book and and everything else and what your foundation has been able to do. 
but how it starts is a pretty comical story. Um, I'm sure you get asked to talk about it a lot of time, but maybe you could share with the listeners how um, Hartnell Down comes uh, comes about and what it's what it's now doing. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know a foundation I started back in I think 2012, 2013, something like that, and um, this this guy uh, first sign I ever saw was uh, we were in Phoenix. And this, this guy had a ticker or a counter, I guess, not a ticker, a counter. And it said Hartnell down and the ticker was at 145. And that was the sign in, in warm up. And I'm like, Hartnell down, you know, do a lap of like 145, do another lap. My like, Hartnell down 145. I'm like, what the heck does this mean? I'm like, whatever. Some stupid sign, right? And whatever. Next game, they're following us. Uh, our Phoenix, California, a couple games. And so, like, three games later, uh, warm-up, same thing. I'm, like, skating around. Like, Hartnell down 167. I'm, like, Hartnell down 100. I'm, like, you know, that went up 20, 22 points in, uh, you know, two games or three games. I'm, like, what is this? So, I, I, so I asked our trainer, Nasty, and I was like, Nasty, what is this? He goes, he's like, uh, you know, maybe I'll try and get out right quick and go ask this guy. So anyway, after warm up, I'm, you know, take my, my top half stuff of my equipment off. And so he kind of peeks his head around the corner. He's like, come here, come here, come here. So I get out there. He's like, he's like, you're never going to believe it. And I'm like, believe what? I kind of forgot that I asked him. I was like all dialed in focused. And he's like, yeah, that Hartnell downside. He's like, they count how many times you fall down during the ice during the game. And they just have this counter. So I was like, oh, those assholes, right? And I'm like, that's that's kind of stupid. So I call my agent after, blah, blah, blah. And he's, he couldn't stop laughing. And, and so his wife thought of an idea like, hey, let's, you know, make some shirts and sell them online. And, you know, if we sell 150 shirts, we'll just give the money away. So, you know, started, you know, I don't even think she started the web. She had to have, yeah. Started the website, hartledown.com uh you know put on there and and next she got an, a, an app on her phone to see how the website's going and so i tweeted about it one time and it was like ting 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 sold out 150 shirts sold out in like five minutes and it was like okay well let's order you know a thousand right ting 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 sold out and it was like oh wow this is kind of cool so she made a couple and she made all these shirts and she's doing this from her home she's you know, going to this small uh, um, post office in, in Brainerd, Minnesota, right? With, you know, 300 shirts and the next day, 300 shirts in these packages. And she, you know, this, this little post office, like, uh, what do you guys got going on here? Like, what kind of business is this? And so anyways, we, uh, you know, started a, a foundation and, you know, uh, had a couple golf tournaments throughout the years, uh, raising good money. Uh, a lot of kids uh, went from Philadelphia here, Columbus to go to, uh, uh, these hockey camps that, you know, they probably more than likely would not uh, be able to experience um, and meet kids out from all over the, all over the world, Russia, Canada, Minnesota, and uh, participate in these camps that I participated in, that Wayne Simmons participated in, TJ Oshie was, was working out in uh, JVR, Clark MacArthur, uh, all these guys came in and we'd work out together and skate together and, and uh, not an easy camp, but you know, fun for kids to, to get away from their parents and their, their livelihoods to experience this camp. And, um, anyways, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, just a kind of a fun deal. And like you said, it's kind of someone, you know, kind of poking fun at me, kind of, um, you know, trying to jab at you, take you down, I guess a little bit and, and you turn it into something so positive and, and, uh, you know, something amazing that, uh, you know, I was really proud of. What's well, been, uh, 
a unique characteristic of yourself, I feel like, when people try and attack you or, or maybe just try and poke a little fun, have a little bit of fun. You seem to be a guy who's able to accept that and carry on. And yeah, you have to. You have to. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to. And it was, uh, you know, I just, I remember being there with the kids and they were there the same weeks that, uh, that I was there. And, uh, you know, I saw a couple of the, of the kids, uh, inner city uh, black kids here from Philadelphia and, you know, they're laying on the grass and I'm like, Hey, you guys, what are you guys doing? It's, and it's, you know, nine 30 at night and it's, and it's blackout, you know, it's dark out. And, uh, they're like, they're looking up at the stars and they're like, I, I've, I've never seen a sky like this. And I'm like, well, you probably never looked up before. And they're like, no, no, like, listen, I, you know, I, you know, you get the city lights, the street lights and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I sat there for like five minutes with them and just watched the stars and, and it's like, as an adult, I'm like, I haven't probably looked up at the stars in, in 10 years myself. Right. So I sat with them and had a moment with them. I'm like, wow, this is, this is like one of the coolest things that I've, uh, that I've ever done. So I was that moment. It was, it was pretty cool and talking about it and, and reliving that. Uh, uh, thank you for that. It's, uh, you know, made, uh, makes me feel good that, uh, you know, did some good in, in some kids' lives. You know, it's, um, it's something that I think the NHL is actually doing a better job of lately. Uh, maybe in the last, since social media has become to the forefront, there's lots of good stories that you guys who are in positions to really affect some, some children's lives or people in tough situations um, and really bring some positivity to the world. And that Hartnell down is, well, you just talked about one of the instances, like that's pretty cool what you've done and donating the money back and helping support, uh, you know, inner city kids like that you know it's something out here in rural you know being out here we take for granted all the time when you look up you see the stars and actually yeah. going back to when i interviewed carly agro she talked about the northern lights never seeing them out east in canada and i was like what wait, wait what, what? <laughs> what? like that just you know that's uh, part of life here and so that's uh that is a very very cool story yeah no thank you um how much longer do I got you for? Whatever you want. Oh, that's a dangerous game to play. Okay. <laughs> well, I know we talked early uh, at the start of this that I had you for roughly an hour. I'm just looking at the clock. Yeah. Closing in on an hour. We... No young kids. And so if, if you got to run, we can always do part two. I just, uh, at, at the same token, I don't want to overextend uh, my stay. Yeah, no, we can, well, whatever you want to do. If you want to do another, uh, some, some other time, uh, just to break it up, we can do that as well. I, I hear my uh, little daughter crying right now in the background, so. Okay, well, give me, I want to talk about Jason Smith and then the five questions at the end, and then we'll do a part okay. two a different day. Fair? Okay, perfect. Okay, okay. yeah, perfect. So, let's go back to your time in Philly. You come there and your first captain is Jason Smith. And the reason I like Jason Smith is I'm an Oilers fan and I got to watch that guy go to war every yep. single day. What was, uh, what was he like um, walking into the dressing room and having that grizzled vet? I have so much respect for that guy. He, uh, I think he was only there the one year. Um, and then I don't think the Flyers resigned him. And yeah, so he was our captain, and he in the playoffs we went to the conference finals that year. He could hardly skate; he was so banged up. He had a broken index finger; it looked like it was it was bending the wrong way in three different directions on his one finger. Uh, he had like a dislocated shoulder, 
uh, could hardly lift his one arm up, but played like a beast during the games. And it was like everything was bothering him. He couldn't hardly skate, couldn't hardly get out of bed. But this guy was a warrior and um, would do anything to win. And so anyway, playing with him and not, you know, playing against him for so many years and and uh, just kind of respected the way he plays and then actually playing with him and, and seeing it firsthand what a guy can do. Just an absolute warrior. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the biggest warriors that I played with for sure throughout my career. Yeah, the reason I bring him up is as a kid uh, watching the Edmonton Oilers back before the Connor McDavid years and the Taylor Halls and all that, they were a very blue-collar team. And he was the captain, mm-hmm. I think, for, I want to say, four or five years. And then he went to Philly for one year and wore the C for one year and then left. And so that just, to me, speaks to uh, his leadership capability to be walking into a new room, never have any ties to that organization, be handed the C, and then, uh, like you say, to just go to war and just do everything. I mean, he was not a pretty player. He wasn't this uh, superstar elite. He was an absolute beast on the ice. Yeah, he was uh, – he was, uh... I guess an old school defenseman, you know, in somewhat of the new era times, uh, you know, he obviously wasn't playing against Connor McDavid. He would probably roast him and Gator would be the, the guy to <laughs> admit that he would just fly by him. But, you know, off the glass and out, uh, taking care of your goaltender, clearing out the front of the net and uh, did it with a smile because he, he loved just being a mean SOB out there. And, and uh, I have a lot of respect for him and, and how he played the game, had a heck of a career doing it. So he was, uh, like I said, it was like how – you know, watching him practice, you know, during the playoffs. And I'm like, why are you even out here? You know, like just save yourself for the game. It was like, you don't need to practice. And he's like, no, no. He's like, I got to be out here. Like, and that was just like, wow, this is a guy that, you know, I need to, to strive to be like too, to be a warrior like And And, uh, you know, when I had the bumps and bruises, I always kind of remember that, uh, that story about him, uh, how he, how he just did it every, every practice, every day he was out there. Well, before I let you go, let's do the final segment, the Crude Master Final Five. So a huge shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald. Uh, they've been sponsors of the podcast since the very beginning. So it's just five quick questions, long or short, you want to go. Um, okay. What's the best lesson uh, you've learned to this point uh, over your entire NHL career? Uh, I guess don't take anything for granted. You know, you um, – you just, you know, I was lucky enough to play so long. I played with guys that, you know, had looked like they've had promising careers and it was, they've been cut short of uh, an injury, a concussion, um, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, uh, just not right the fit, right fit for them and they get traded and traded and, you know, next thing you know, they're out of the league. So I, uh, you know, one thing I, I never took for granted in my career and, you know, always put in the work and always uh, uh, made sure you don't cut any bridges either. Um, you know, because the hockey world's a small world and uh, it you know, comes full circle. And, you know, when I left Nashville, I never thought that I'd be back in Nashville at the end of my career for one last year. And, and uh, you know, Mr. Poyle, who know who would have thought that he still would have been the GM 10 years later, and he was. And, but to have those relationships, uh, you know, I had when I was there, uh, you know, sure paid off, uh, um, you know, towards the end of my career. Who was the coach in Nashville when you went back? Peter Laviolette. So yeah, I had him in, in Philly and then, you know, he was a big reason why, uh, you know, they, they uh, uh, signed me there for, for one last season. That must've been a cool send off to go back to where it all began. 
Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the city changed so much. It's it's bigger. It's you know the honky tonks are bigger. Everything is bigger and better. And uh, you know the condo buildings and the uh, hotels and it's just such a destination for for people across the world to come and and listen to the best music, country music, and you know have a good time, right? It's uh, um, but when I played there in two thousand to two thousand six, it was it was just a kind of a hidden gem that you know you you went there, you know barely ever right but now it's just a destination and and uh, there's just so much good energy in that town what's one type of music or song that got the boys going before the game before a game uh oh boy that's a tough question I don't know. We kind of like different teams or different uh, different DJs on each. Uh, you're you're, you're on team. you're on the run to the 2010 Stanley Cup Finals. What is the jam that gets stuck where everybody's that that's the song, or that's I'd have to look, I, I'd have to look at my phone. I I have some playlists from from kind of that area, so it'd be uh, something rap, I think for sure. Uh, I'm not sure if it was Snoop Dogg or uh, Dr. Dre or something, but I'll I'll say the rap tunes. Okay. If you could uh, hop back on a line, what line mates would you take tomorrow? Uh, well, probably my best season, Claude Giroux and Yarmir Yager. That's probably a no-brainer. They were so much fun to play with. Uh, uh, the playmaking ability, the, the, the unselfishness they had with the puck. I think we, we all worked together. I was kind of the grit uh, with those guys. And, and uh, you know, I think we had a, a great uh, – uh, I wish Yager would have came back for another year just to see if we could have done it again. But, uh, you know, I love playing with them and that's so much fun. Uh, through this, I've heard you talk about your father an awful lot. If you could walk into a house party and in it is your father, but in it is also your father from five years previous his age all the way back to when he's 20, what part of your father would you want to sit down and have a beer with? Oh, gosh. Um... Probably maybe in his 30s, 40s. So maybe 30-year-ago 30, 30 uh, Bill Hartnell. Uh, just when he had young kids, like like I have young kids now. Uh, you know, if I came from family, uh, two brothers and a sister, just to see how, how he de dealt with it all. Some days are, are more try trying than others. But um, just to see how he handled it all and see how – you know, uh, you know, I just obviously can't remember when you're young, young, what your, your father did with you, but, you know, just to see if I'm doing the same things that, uh, that he did for me, because I think I turned out all right. And, you know, I just want, uh, my little man and my little daughter to, to be the same thing. Final one. If you could bring one guy, you were a guy who was traded a couple times in your career. If you could have had anyone come with you in a trade, who would you want to have been? Well, I did actually Nashville to uh, Philadelphia chemo team. And yeah, he's, uh, he's my neighbor across the street. He's uh, he was the best man in my wedding and uh, just a uh, one heck of a guy, a great family and, and a uh, friend that I'll have uh, forever. There's only, there's only a few guys, well, maybe more than a few guys that you'd consider forever friends, even though I've played with hundreds and hundreds of guys. Um, you know, there's, there's a handful of guys that, uh, that you keep in touch with, that you talk to, that you care about, that uh, not that you, if you didn't see them, you know, if I didn't see David Lagwan, for example, I played with him my first six years. If I saw him tomorrow, I'd be like, hey man, how you doing? How's it? It'd be like a long weekend away, right? Uh, but there's some guys that you, you make the effort to 
uh, to keep in touch to see how their families are and, and uh, make sure you always kind of have that contact. So uh, chemo would be one. Cool. For sure. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Um, yep. we're definitely going to have to do part two because there's so much more I want to dig into, <laughs> but uh, really do appreciate you hopping on with me, Scott, and uh, enjoy parenting. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey folks, thanks again for joining us today. If you just stumble on the show and like what you hear, please click subscribe. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, a new guest will be sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you find your podcast fix. Until next time. Still hanging out there, folks? Still waiting for this guy to come back on and give you another little uh, hint at who 100 could possibly be. That's what we're doing here. We're playing a little game. I'm giving you a clue each episode at the end leading up to the 100th episode, which is July 29th. All you got to do to enter is head to social media, tag the podcast, and the hashtag who's W-H-O-S 100 with your guest for 100. You're just your guest. Uh, guess at the guest. Jeez, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And uh, that gets you one entry into uh, the draw. And what's in the draw, you say? Well, a huge shout-out to Sandy Beach. They're uh, tossing in a round for four people and two carts, round of nine out at Sandy Beach Golf Course. And a huge shout-out to Factory Sports. The boys over there are dropping off a $200 gift card. So all you got to do to get in on this is head to social media, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, it don't matter. Track me down and uh, put who your guess is for the number 100 on there, and you're entered automatically. So here is your hint for this episode on June 29th. He's been in the building when the Stanley Cup has been handed out. There it is. All right. Go out there. Be awesome. We'll catch you Wednesday.